welcome to another edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket. I'm your host, Peter Dalapena, and on today's show, we have a legend, a titan of the associate cricket world, Paras Kotka, the former Nepal captain who recently retired after an illustrious career spanning close to two decades in international cricket. Just as we had on Carl Sandry recently to get some perspective on the opposite side of the field as USA was about to take on Papua New Guinea in two ODIs, I thought it would be a great opportunity to get Paris Kodka on the show ahead of USA's two matches against Nepal in the Cricket World Cup League 2 Tri-Series coming up next week in Oman. And Paris is very, very generous enough to agree to come on the show. We talk about his recent retirement decision, but a good chunk of the show is spent talking about the rivalry with USA. The interview is going to come in two parts. Before we get to the interview with Paras Kodka, I want to remind everybody that the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast is presented by Dream Cricket. Dream Cricket Academy offers private and group lessons for children of all ages. Dream Cricket Academy has competitive youth teams organized at under 12, under 14, under 16, and under 18 level. Multiple students of the Dream Cricket Academy have been selected to represent USA at under 19 level over the years, including Raymond Ramratan, Harish Eshwarya, and the 2021 USA Under 19 National Championship Tournament MVP, Sai Mukamala, of the champion Mid-Atlantic squad. Dream Cricket Academy's coaching staff is also led by the head coach of the USA Under 19 National Champion Mid-Atlantic Regional Squad, Earl Daly, himself a former U.S. USA national team player, and he's also the head coach of the New Jersey Stallions, who are doing very, very well in the opening season of the minor league cricket T20 franchise competition. Dream Cricket has private lanes available for booking, as well as bola bowling machines to use for optimized training. The Dream Cricket Academy is located at 400 Abgar Drive in Somerset, New Jersey, just a mile off of Exit 12 on Interstate 287. For more information, call 908-938-3787 or email cricket at dreamcricket.com. The Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast is also sponsored by Musa Cricket Stadium, the first and original turf wicket facility in the state of Texas, and now one of the premier venues for minor league cricket T20 franchise tournament. It's also a venue where Paris Kotka has played when he represented the Nepali Rhinos squad at a USA domestic event a couple years ago at Musa Cricket Stadium in Pearland, Texas. For more information, call 713-534-2195. That's Musa Cricket Stadium in Pearland, Texas. We have a very, very special guest with us, the former captain of Nepal. There are so many accolades I can use to introduce him, but he really needs no introduction. Paras Kadka, Paras, welcome to the show. Thank you, Pete. How are you? I'm better now that you're on the show. It's good to have you. It's good (laughs) to see you after a while. The last time I would have seen you was your final ODI against... USA in Kathmandu just before the start of the pandemic. Very famous match, a, a famous way to end your career on, your ODI career, 35 all out. Tell me, what has retirement life been like for you so far? This is one question that I do get very often nowadays as to what are you looking up to? Or how's life post-retirement? I think I've, I've taken a step back in terms of, you know, uh, just managing a bit of time for myself. I'm much more relaxed, definitely. Why? Because I don't have to, you know, wake up and uh, set the alarm of go uh, play matches or practice or do all those sorts. But having said that, 
Uh, I do miss uh, playing because cricket is something where as long as I'm there, I think for all cricketers, they would never, ever, ever, ever miss playing. But then they want to you know, keep playing for as much as uh, possible. But for me, I was very clear of where I wanted to be. And uh, I'm here today, a retired cricketer at a very young age. And then hopefully I've just retired from cricket uh, as a active cricketer but having said that uh, i'm not i'm not going to retire myself from international cricket and really looking forward to what's ahead in nepal cricket you retired at a young age you're only 33 i've got more gray hair than you you don't have any gray hair i've got gray hair you don't have any so why now why did you decide to to stop See, for me, it was very clear uh, uh, from the very beginning that as long as I was on a cricket field, I had to make sure that I made an impact. And I believe that last couple of years, a year and a half, we, we lost due to the pandemic. And uh, I had this uh, dream of, you know, uh, helping Nepal reach somewhere. Uh, I managed to play a World Cup myself and get ODI status, which would probably be the two highlights of my career. And having seen the growth uh, around me in terms of fan base, the number of people that play the game now, investors, uh, the corporate and uh, financial side to Nepali cricket. And with everything around me, I thought that maybe uh, it's time that I take a step back. Uh, why? Because uh, this was it for me. Uh, the ODI status was where as a cricketer, as a player, uh, this was the pinnacle where I could have helped Nepal cricket reach. And now, um, my ultimate dream is to see Nepal become a test-playing country. And it might take forever or it might not happen as well. But with the realistic approach that I have uh, gone through my individual career and, of course, Nepal cricket's pathway from all the fluctuations that you are very well aware of, uh, we have somehow managed to you know, reach where we are today. So for me, uh, I just felt that it, it was about time. And now uh, my active role would be uh, to try and improve the cricketing setup in this country. I have a lot of faith from a lot of people, uh, from the government to the corporate sector, to the fan base, to everybody who knows and loves Nepal cricket. And they see me as doing something. And it's, I think, now, I uh, made it very clear that uh, the, my first pathway to uh, helping Nepal would be uh, I'm starting up my own cricket academy. And hopefully, uh, with this uh, academy, I want to take this all over Nepal in the next three to five years, uh, provide a platform for our cricketers, uh, for men and women both, for youngsters to groom, maybe get in all the cricketing experts, cricket uh, playing communities to come to Nepal participate and in the meanwhile help uh, develop grassroots cricket and that is something where I really feel that we need to push ourselves in and hopefully uh, I can play a part in it. It won't just be possible because of myself. It'll take a lot of effort from a lot of people around me and I believe there are good people around to make this happen and I want to just be a catalyst to all of this. I mean, is it the Paris Karka Cricket Academy or is there some yeah. other name? We've We've named it as uh, Cricket Excellence Center, CEC. Uh, so we're starting off with its headquarters here in Kathmandu and hope to, you know, really set this up very nicely in coming days, years. Uh, I think it'll probably be set up by the end of 
November, hopefully because there's a lot of construction work and a lot of logist logistics that have been carried on right now. And once I, once I announced the fact that I was set, starting up my own academy, a lot of people from outside Kathmandu saying, you know, come here, we are ready, you know, let's start this. So that, that's uh, been another, a very good sign that people are actually excited. And I hope I can uh, fulfill people's expectations. As a cricketer, uh, you know how fanatic our cricket fan base is. So for me, those expectations of uh, the fans that they had over me as a cricketer, I hope those expectations can be met off the field as well now that I'm starting up this academy and hope to create a cricketing culture in Nepal with uh, all stakeholders involved. Grassroots development. So as somebody who, former Nepal under-19 captain, born and brought up in Nepal, I want to get to know a bit more about your backstory because I don't know much about it, to be honest, and I'm sure there are a lot of other people out there who are curious. So where were you born? Where did you grow up in Nepal? Was it in Kathmandu or somewhere else? And how did you first get involved in cricket? I was born in Kathmandu, yes. My school's name is South Point Boarding High School. It was a very small school, but I think it played a very influential role in at least shaping up my cricket career. Why? Because I, I remember growing up, we used to have this students versus teachers matches during weekends and after school because I live very close by. Uh, it was just uh, running off after school. School used to end around 3.30. Uh, 45, then go home, uh, have your snacks, come back, then play till 5.36, and then wake up early in the morning, uh, freshen up. And if, if, if the classes started around 9.30, we'd make sure that we reach at 8, almost one and a half hour earlier so that we could continue. It, it is a form of continuation where we had numbers. We are around 15, 16 boys. So if you batted overnight, there's almost like test cricket where if you batted overnight and you had to go home, then that person would get to bat the next day. And so that's whether it's the bowler or the batter, we would put records individually in our minds. It wasn't much records, but that's how we kept rolling. We had matches during weekends. We did not participate much in cricket tournaments. Why? Because there wasn't much school-level cricket even then. Even now, there isn't much school cricket. But we made sure that we watched a lot of cricket on TV and tried to emulate. It was a Murli Dharan or a Wasim Akram or a Sue Bakhtar, the way he was running, or Sachin Tendulkar with his elbow. Hi, you know, you, you had all these people that we looked up to growing up and it was incredible why because we're so close to India and we had we have access to all the cricketing channels so that way we used to watch, uh, I used to watch India-Pakistan matches in Sarja and eventually got the whole privilege of playing in Sarja in my first ever tour under 15. So for me it was uh, very clear that whatever position that I choose chose to step in, it was about trying to create a difference. Um, never had this dream of wanting to become a cricketer. I was very, very clear with the fact that I was good in studies. So I made sure that I'll complete my high school and, and probably definitely travel to a cricket playing country. I would have either been England or Australia. Why? Because I thought I'll carry on with my education as well as uh, take up my cricketing uh, career along the same way. But uh, I think destiny had other things in store for me. And, here I am today, uh, growing up, we played, watched a lot of cricket, came through absolute, even everybody, uh, even before me or my generation of cricketers had no formal cricket coaching. We just watched TV and practiced on our own and made it to where we are today. I would probably say the first formal coaching that we actually got was 
maybe after Pubudu came in, where he made us realize, you know, the things that we needed to do. Before that, it was just simple, normal cricket and just taking it from there. It was more of things that happened more than you making things happen. So that's uh, that's been the whole growth process in terms of my own young cricketing background. You mentioned a number of names in there in terms of idols and people you looked up to through watching matches on television. And as somebody who was born in 1987, like yourself, looking through the scorecards of Nepal's cricket history, Nepal didn't start playing international matches, according to the Cricket Archive database, until 1996 in the Asian Cricket Council trophy. And they didn't participate in an ICC tournament until 2001, the ICC trophy in Toronto. So you were really the first generation of players that excelled at international level in terms of when you emerged on the senior scene in the late 2000s and then throughout the decade of the 2010s. But there weren't really a lot of opportunities for idols or people to look up to locally within Nepal cricket. Did you have any idols locally or, or who were your local role models, if anything, that you could glean on for inspiration? Or was it purely, like you said, all, all the instances of watching cricket on TV and, and the India-Pakistan matches and anything else you saw on television that really motivated your, your cricket growth? I remember 1996 World Cup when Kalu and Sanat Jaisuria, like they took the world by storm and it was something where I still have uh, very strong visible memories of how Sri Lanka came through the ranks and managed to, you know, win the World Cup. Uh, and growing up, uh, I think cricket was being played in Nepal, but it wasn't structured as much. Uh, there, there were club-level tournaments happening. Uh, I think the basic uh, uh, requirement was that people would just turn up and play matches, and that's about it. Uh, so what happened was... Uh, the real impact would probably be when 2002, uh, under-19 World Cup in New Zealand, when Nepal beat Bangladesh and Pakistan. I think that's when, I think for me, uh, I got this whole uh, idea that, okay, we have an international cricket team now that's winning at an international level. So that's when we beat test-playing countries at under-19 the first time. Also made me believe personally that uh, things can be done or things can be achieved. I was still in school then still hadn't, hadn't represented Nepal or had absolute no hope or plans to represent Nepal. But for me, it was very personal in terms of uh, every time I think of how things have panned out for me, it was destined for me to be part of this whole cricket extravaganza, like for, from a schoolboy who had no dreams of playing for Nepal, ended up, you know, playing for what, 17, 18 years, captain, Nepal senior team under 17, 19s, and just the growth of Nepal cricket over the years has fascinated me. And it's, 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 it's been incredible. Why? Because from those days to, to where we are today, I just believe that uh, there have been a lot of inspirational people around, a lot of people who have you know, shaped us uh, to where we are today. But for me, it was inspiration from each other. We took inspiration uh, from cricketers around us where, uh, like, uh, somebody like Shakti, who's, who's probably the most hardworking cricketer that, I've, that this country's ever seen, or somebody like Basant, who just naturally so good, would turn up and start taking wickets, or 
uh, Gyanendra Malla, who hit the most amazing cover drive with the right perfect technique. So all these kinds of things, we looked around each other, or you had some great athletes who dive in and take the impossible catches and save that uh, odd boundary. So these were the inspirations that myself grew around from under 15s to 17s. And I'm sure that's how most of us related to each other as well. And we've rubbed off on each other. And it's, it, there's no denying to the fact that Nepal cricket is where today. It's, it's down to this unbelievable passion that the players and the coaches and the belief and the determination that we had in each other. And the team spirits brought us to where we are today. And I'm very glad that I picked up cricket and I was able to you know, somehow be involved in it. I know you're a big football fan. And I've seen you post recently supporting the Nepal national team as they go on to World Cup qualifiers. I know you're always supporting Liverpool whenever Liverpool does something in either the Premier League or the Champions League. You're always quick on the trigger to put out a tweet or something else on social media supporting Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp and whatever else is going on in current times. Was cricket your first love or was football or some other sport the thing that you initially were drawn to and then cricket just kind of took over later on? During the rainy season, we used to play a lot of football. Why? Because cricket wasn't that big. Uh, so, And also, you could not play cricket during the rainy season. So, uh, I remember back when I was in grade 8 or 9, I did go, because I was, I was very good in football as well. So, I went into this regional qualifiers. There was a selection tournament of maybe around 100 kids had been gathered from different parts of the country. And they made us play a 20-minute 10-minute, 20-minute match for like divided into two teams. And that was it. The selection was done then and there. I went in and I came back home saying, I think football is not going to work for me. Why? Because I don't think I'm going to get selected. Why? Because it was just 20 minutes and I don't think I, I touched the ball what must have been twice or thrice. And then I realized that, okay, that's uh, that's it for football dreams. Uh, and then because we were playing cricket so regularly, we had this inter-school cricket tournament when I was in grade 10. And I remember to telling the teachers then that we had to participate in one of these tournaments. We went in, participated, won that tournament. I was the school's uh, cricket captain. And that was a selection tournament for the under-15 regional team here in Kathmandu. Before participating, we had no idea that it was a selection tournament. We just wanted to play any cricket. And having got a tournament to play, we went in, uh, beat one of the top colleges then, sorry, top schools then. And... I did well uh, personally as well. And that's how I first got selected for the Kathmandu under 15s. And we had the regional tournament, did well, did, did okay. And that's how I got selected into the national camp. And then the rest is history, as they say. You played under 15, under 17, and under 19 level cricket for Nepal. Under 15 made your debut in 2002. What was it like getting that first call or how did you receive the first notification that you were going to play for Nepal? We, we were in a camp and uh, because uh, I, I'm sure the coaches saw something in me so that way uh, it was it was uh, discussed as to what role should I be given to and I, I became the vice captain because I'm sure people saw something in me with the cricket coaches around me and I had uh, a, a senior member who managed to, you know, uh, put in a lot of, uh, what I would say, inputs to how we should function, how we should go about things. And he couldn't make it because when the 
age criteria came in, he didn't qualify. Then someone else became the captain and I became the vice captain. Uh, it, it, it was just uh, incredible why, because I remember like first uh, going on a plane to an international tour, my first ever international tour. So sitting on that plane with young age group boys and then uh, remember entering uh, Dubai, then we were stationed at Holiday Inn, went in there and went in the room with five-star accommodation, jumped into the bed, you know, went outside the balcony, looked around and saw a very nice swimming pool downstairs and thought, wow, this is the life that, you know, you, you dreamt of as a young 15-year-old and you're representing in your country. And that, that's, that's how it all started. And I think the big the bigger side to it was when I got man of the match for the first match that I played for Nepal uh, against Singapore. There were headlines, paper cuttings that was on the newspaper. And I remember my parents were being called by, uh, I think, Binod, uh, who is one of our premier cricket reporters. Had, he called my parents and that interview was there in the newspaper. And just that uh, photo on the newspaper really made my family and everybody around very happy. So that would probably be my biggest record, if I can term it as such now, because uh, when you represented your country and you saw your son's name on the newspaper, uh, I think that made uh, my family very proud. You took three for 12 in eight overs in that match where you were named player of the match on your Nepal under-15s debut against Singapore under-15s at Dubai and yes. you also scored 19 not out in the chase you bowled out Singapore for 95 and you came in at number four with yeah. 19 not out off 11 balls Sarad Vasakar is on that team Mahesh Chetri there's a few other guys who played for the Nepal senior team in that squad so at that point were you were you bowling spin or medium pace or both what was the right genesis of your bowling at that time right arm 140 clicks no, I'm just kidding. It is gentle, medium pace as always, but hitting top of top of off. Sometimes that's yeah. all it takes to win matches, and you did that plenty of times for Nepal. So you mentioned you started off as vice captain for the yeah. under 15s, and then you captained the under 17 team. In the... fact, I played under 19 before under 17. So what happened? What happened was after under 15. Uh, there was 2,319 Asia Cup in Sri Lanka, uh, Pakistan. Shakti. Uh, Shakti was my first under-19 captain. Uh, he was the captain and we went on to win the championship. Then the winners of the Asian region would qualify for the, the World Cup, which was uh, then played in Bangladesh in 2004. And then in 2004, before the under-19 World Cup, I uh, got to captain the Nepal under-17s. Did you feel like you were being groomed long-term to be a future men's captain or were you just thinking in the moment I'm just here to play cricket and enjoy my cricket <laughs> I was just there to enjoy my cricket honestly I never thought I'd make it to the senior team why because at that point of time when I looked at myself the competition that I had around me was it is, it is very difficult why? because these names were there in the Nepali cricket system for a very long time guys like Mehboob Alam or you know, Aparas Lunia or Aparas Lohani or, you know, Manjeet Swesta, these are seniors before me or a Raju Khatka who's captain of Nepal. Uh, and for me, just to find a place in the 14, I would look at that squad and, and just think to myself, I would never, ever, ever make it. Why? Because I never saw that spot. For me, 
I enjoyed playing cricket. I used to play a lot of basketball during my high school days. I was uh, six two, so uh, for a general Nepali, that was very tall. Although I was not great at scoring, I, I was I was very good in assisting, and the defense work was very strong. And I could, you know, get a couple of layups here and there to, you know, assist. So that way, with basketball and cricket going hand in hand, and my education, um, I never thought that I would actually make it to the senior team. Why? Because it wasn't a priority. I had no dreams of any dream of even making it to the senior. I, I just let things take its own course. But what I always did was, as long as I was doing something, I put my heart and soul into it, whether it's playing basketball or somehow managing a bit of studies and then cricket, whether it was training, whether it was playing under 15, 17, 19s. I made sure that I gave it my absolute best. And I'm sure people around me, then people, people before me must have seen that quality. And uh, that's, that's always, that's, been my strength over the years where I was a, so, a, someone who was very, very determined, someone who really pushed myself. And that's how I looked at myself. There's no way that I was making the senior team then. You've talked about your focus on education and you thought you didn't believe you were going to make the senior team and you were hoping if cricket was going to be furthered, it would be something that would be tied to your education. So going to study abroad in England or Australia or somewhere else where there would be opportunities in the university. That has happened to other players where there's been that turning point. And a perfect example of that is if you look at the 2006 Nepal under 19 squad that won the plate final over New Zealand in Sri Lanka that you were a part of, you were in that squad with Gian Anjamala and Asan Regmi, but the captain of that team, Kanishka Chagai, is a very, very talented player for Nepal. And I think somebody yep. who a lot of people expected would have had a very long career in the Nepal senior team. He went off to university in California Never came back. He's still there now. He's still playing in California to this day. So yeah, yeah. there are moments in somebody's career where one decision gets made and it just changes your fortune forever. What was that sliding door moment for you if there was one? Was there a point where you went from not really taking cricket seriously from a, a mental standpoint in terms of you didn't really visualize it as a long-term opportunity professionally or a way to make a living and you had this idea to go to university and then something changes where all of a sudden you realize you can be somebody who makes a living out of this. What was that moment for you? 2008, uh, when we were, when we played against America, I remember uh, in Jersey, when uh, we lost to Afghanistan in the semis and we played for the third play, third place playoffs, I think. And I was the vice captain then I remember uh, then coach, uh, Mr. Roy Luke Dice, uh, him coming over and telling me that now that we have not qualified into another division, uh, you're the vice captain. And he said, would you like to captain the national team? And I said, no. I said, sir, I don't want to captain uh, the national team. I am planning to apply to Australia. I want to go to Australia, get my high school education done properly, and then play some form of cricket there. And I denied him. Uh, it was a one-to-one -one and said, so please let me go to Australia. I don't see myself doing anything over here. So what happened, I came back, applied uh, for Australia. Then a lot of students were getting a lot of visas. That was, visa was a very normal thing. But apparently, uh, there was a regional tournament here in uh, Nepal. I had to 
go play the tournament. So I've given up all my documents to one of these uh, consultancies that used to get all the documentations done. Apparently, they put in all the forged uh, documents. And next thing you know, uh, because I was playing cricket, I had no time. I'd given them all the responsibility. Next thing I know, I did not get the visa. So now what's remaining is I had to stay back in Nepal. I had no other option besides playing cricket because I was always playing uh, for the national team, it has it's been already what 2004, five, six, and four years that, and I was the vice captain. So 2008, uh, apparently, because my visa got rejected for Australia, I had to stay back, which I'm very glad <laughs> to that consultancy. And uh, like like they say, it was destined for me to you know uh, move on to the next phase that was captainship. And uh, 2009, when I became the captain. Uh, it's strange why, because my first match, when I became captain, I was the youngest in that team. From the age point of view, I was the young, I was the youngest, but never felt that pressure because all of us were so involved in trying to help Nepal cricket grow and win matches. So it, it was great camaraderie, just being with the seniors, understanding, learning from them. And then you had no other option but to lead your country and then uh, take things forward. So that would probably be a turning point if I can term it as such. In the hidden backstory of Paras Kadka's illustrious international career, we have the Australian government and the visa service to thank for botching your application. I wouldn't say the Australian government, but it was, it was the fault on my end because the consultancy that I asked to, you know, fill in the documents, put in all the wrong financial statement papers. So, and if I went, went to Australia eventually, it's, 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 it was something where I put in my head system saying like, I had to go there. This is, this is one place where, you know, I could not get into for my higher education, but I went later on stays and just love it. And, and, and you know for a fact that I love the Australian cricket team. So that connection was always there. Today's episode of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket is also sponsored by Musa Cricket Stadium, the first and original turf wicket facility in the state of Texas, and now one of the premier venues for the minor league cricket T20 franchise tournament. Located at 5515 McKeever Road in Perryland, five miles off the Bailey Road exit from State Route 288 and a half hour south of downtown Houston, Musa Cricket Stadium includes fully enclosed locker rooms and change rooms plus shower facilities after day's play, as well as outdoor nets for all your training needs. For more information, call 713-534-2195. That's Moosa Cricket Stadium in Pearland, Texas. You just opened the door. This is a main reason why we wanted to get you on the Stars and Stripes podcast, the rivalry with USA over the years. So you just touched on it. Yeah. This very important moment in this conversation you had with Roy Dias in 2008 on the tour of Jersey. That was the first of many, many battles with USA over the years. Yeah. And that first one in Jersey in 2008, World Cricket League Division 5, you actually had two matches. You were supposed to play the USA in group play, but the match was washed out the first time around. And then at the second attempt, it ended as uh, no result. You got to bat in the first innings, and Nepal made 182, and then USA wasn't able to chase. They never got the second innings underway. But then Nepal and USA advanced from one side of the draw into the semifinals and Afghanistan and Jersey advanced from the other side. And you lost the semifinal to Afghanistan. USA lost their semifinal, obviously, to Jersey. And that started the, the path for Afghanistan to move up from Division 5 into ODI status from 2008 to 2009. But the third place playoff match, you were somebody who had a very pivotal role over the years in many of these USA-Nepal encounters right from the start. 
48, you top score in that match. Nepal wins by 96 runs in a total of 189. You top score with 48. Then you took one for 18 and seven overs in the chases. USA was bowled out for 93 and 42 overs. What do you remember about USA, your first recollections of the squad in that very first encounter in Jersey in 2008? You had Lennox Kush, who was one of the premier players. Then, uh, If I may, did Steve play in that game, Messiah? Steve Messiah was the captain. And yeah. Lennox Kush, who at the time was a very well-regarded player in franchise Order. cricket. He was part of the Stanford Superstars squad and he played yeah. for Guyana in the first edition of the Champions League T20 tournament. So he came with a very good reputation. You had other players obviously as well. Sushanad Karni was opening the yeah. batting and many others in that team. Imran Awan, who at one time was considered the fastest Shushil, bowler in cricket. Uh, Shushil over the years really pinned us down in so many matches. I, if I may not be missed, but I, did he get run out in that game? I think he got run out. From he was. From the, was he? He was run out, yes. Yeah, he's run out trying to get a comfortable two. You know how comfortable he would be getting those twos. But there's a direct hit from all over from the boundary. It trickled down and hit the stumps. And we knew that it was an important wicket. Important wicket. Why? Because uh, when we did all those pre-match analysis, we had heard that there's somebody who's playing Ranji level cricket in India. And if you play Ranji level cricket in India, you probably looked at, wow, it must be an important wicket or an important player. So when he got run out, I think things changed course. And over the years, you know how battles have turned in favor and against us when we've got him out or when we have when we could not get him out. That's a perfect segue to 2010. I think this is the most famous of matches on home soil. <laughs> 2010 yeah. World Cricket League Division Five in Nepal, the final match of the group stage when. USA, Singapore, and Nepal were all fighting for two top two spots. USA restricts Nepal to 162 for nine in that game. And by this point, you had become captain of Nepal. Like you said, Sushil Nadkarni, 57 not out in the chase. Sushil Nadkarni, do we blame him for sparking the riot? Who, who is most responsible for the events that unfolded that day? It was pretty crazy back then if you talk about Nepal cricket because there's, we used to have a lot of these people who come in at the ground just be wild at screaming and shouting Nepal and cheering us up. And I remember that game when we got one sixty-three odd runs. We believed that at that stage, if we got anything above 150 with our spin bowling attack, we felt that we could beat anyone. But getting 150 itself was such a hard task then it was about getting those 120s and 30s and scrambling across. So when we got 163 odd runs, we at, at the innings break thought that we had enough. And we knew that uh, the ball's going to turn because it was second innings and you had Sanjam and Basant and Shakti and Rahul, all these guys who were, would played a pivotal role in helping Nepal You know, win over the last four matches. And world cricket was such that you lose one game. It came down to us all three all, four, all three teams were tied at equal points and we had to somehow win the game. Then this partnership between Sushil Nath Karni where we, we brought in Sanjam Regmi from one end at the shorter side of the TU grounds at one of the side pitches where, where, the, where the match was held. He kept peppering him and uh, the left-right hand combination with himself and Aditya made us you know, think a lot, at least made me think because it, it came down to a fact that we tried to protect one side of the small ground but that mean that 
if you bring in a left-hander, it would mean a shorter side for the right-hand batsman and vice versa. So that way they rotated very nicely. Sushil was very, very clinical. He was very clear of the fact that US had to chase the score in this amount of overs. And we went into the game thinking that even if we lost, we would still make it. But midway down the game, I think around when the partnership started building, we got this information that if we don't restrict them under certain overs, it would mean that we would be elim eliminated. And I'm sure the word flew around the Tribune University ground and all people thought, if Nepal can't win today, we will not let anybody win. And it is more of a, a fashion statement then. If I, I, it, it's, it's bad to use the term fashion statement, but people would just enjoy just picking up a stone or something on those grass patches and mud patches. It wasn't stone, stone, but it is those grass patches, which is very hard. And they used to throw it at the ground, throw at us. And all of a sudden, when they started smashing us and there's what around, I don't, I don't remember the exact amount of runs that was left around 12, 13 runs. Everyone had to fly out. Why? Because there were lots of hurdles of stones and pebbles coming across our way, bottles of water being thrown at us. And it was just riots. I'm sure the Nepalese cricket fans must have seen this in 1996 when India was playing Sri Lanka in the semi-finals in, at Eden Gardens where India could not win that game and they were struggling. The whole of Eden Gardens was lit up and the fans were throwing bottles and the match had to be abandoned and Sri Lanka qualified for the finals. So all these things must have subconsciously hit our Nepalese fan base then where they thought that if the team doesn't win, we should throw stones or just disrupt things the way they want. But Destiny had other things in mind. Uh, the game got stopped and there's a lot of Duckworth and Lewis and permutations and combinations. And if the game had not been stopped, we would not have qualified. Why? Because at that point of time, we were behind the net run rate. And because the game stopped and with the cricket and Duckworth Lewis rules that we have, it came down to the fact that the over rates had to be reduced. The target also had to be managed because we had lost uh, around a period of 45 minutes to one hour time. And it was late in the afternoon. It was month of February. So that way, it was almost like peak winter season. And then uh, when the game resumed after putting in a lot of security protocol, we went in and we, we, I think one thing that US did not do then was they could have just come and hit and completed those 11-12 runs that was there. But even for them, it, it came, I'm sure it came as a big shock. Why? Because they'd never experienced that before. Even for myself, I'd never experienced that before. Having played for five, six years at junior level, senior levels, never seen that. So, and even for the batters, they kept on knocking, and we we managed to somehow squeeze in five, six overs for those limited 12, 13 runs. And next thing you know, uh, I remember uh, who was the ICC media officer, Lucy, Lucy Benjamin, who I think she she's worked with ICC for a great number of years. She came and said that you guys have qualified. And we inside the dressing room is like, did we? And they're like, yes. Then what's the margin like? It's like, it was a matter of a, a ball. One ball, if, if that pelting of the stones had happened a couple of balls later, one ball later, it would have meant that Nepal would not have made it, even if, if it came down to Duckworth and Lewis. So that's how the whole dramatic story goes. On a previous episode of the podcast, I asked then USA Cricket Association CEO Don Lockerbie about this whole incident. I've talked with other USA players over the years, get their recollections of the event, and they talk about how it was, it was just chaos and mayhem, and they 
they didn't know what was going on. And some players were told who were in the dugout, stay in the dugout, stay in your dressing room, while Sushil and Aditya in the middle were basically told, stay out in the middle because people aren't going to be able to throw objects that far to harm you. So the safest place <laughs> is, is actually stay out there because if you try and go from the field to the, the locker rooms, that's where the issue is. That's where the, the biggest threat is to get from one point A to point B. I've heard about it from the USA perspective. From your perspective, as the home captain in your home country, your home field, did you feel threatened at all? We felt scared for sure. Why? Because uh, imagine somebody throwing stones at you, right? You'd be scared if 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 some if it hit you, you'd get injured. And just the shock of it, why? Because we knew the crowd would be rowdy, but we did not expect it to go that bad where the game had to be completely disrupted. We knew that maybe if somebody was filling down the boundary line, you'd be peppered, saying, you know, with words or maybe a bit of banter here and there. But when it came down from all sides of the ground, we had like, I was I was there at short covers. I was like, what's happening? All of a sudden, you know, you had these bottles of hurdles of stone and what bottles coming into the ground and the players from Deep Fine and Deep Square had to run in. We went into a huddle then all of a sudden they're still throwing stone. The police had to go intervene and there was chaos all over at the crowd section. Inside, we had no idea what to do. We were thinking like, I think we should get inside. Why? Because it was safety first for, for us as well. But I remember, like you said, Sushil and Aditya, they wanted to stay in. Why? Because they knew that they had to win. It's as simple as that because for without winning, they would not qualify and they had to get it in that time frame of 31 point something, whatever the Duckwood Lewis target was then. So they kept on peppering and they, they, they're stationed at the middle of the pitch where they're outside of the ground and we were told by the security that the best thing would be for us to get out of the ground and I think we were the first ones who came out, Sushir and Aditya, maybe. I, I don't know, I could be wrong, but they came out later. It, it is more of safety. Uh, we just feared for our uh, own safety then as a cricket team. Uh, did you feel like, again, they were throwing stones at you as the Nepal captain being angry that Nepal was about to lose or more yeah, that they were throwing they were, it at the USA they players? Were actually, they were actually very disappointed in us. It was to us, not not to US players, right? because they're more disappointed with the fact that we're about to lose. Interestingly enough, after the match ends, you got to come out to the same place 24 hours later and play another match in front of an even bigger crowd actually now you now paul had qualified at this point and paul and usa go up they're playing in the first place match but still by and large it's the same fans in the same situation and even bigger crowd because the, the match that took place a day later i think it went from from being a, a friday to a saturday so it was a weekend so you had from fifteen thousand, they had expanded it to twenty thousand people crammed in like sardines on that day nepal holds usa to 172 and for people who remember Mahabub Alam being somebody who took 10 wickets, world record setting 10 wickets, one of the maybe forgotten performances and all the illustrious stories of spin bowlers over the years for Nepal, Rahul Vishwakarma, seven for 15 to bowl USA out. And he had a very interesting line of attack. And I want to ask you about this. He was bowling to the right-handers left arm over the wicket he was basically pitching the ball into the footmarks well outside leg stump instead of trying to pad him away or, or block the ball away bowling this negative line usa kept on taking him on hitting against the spin trying to sweep trying to pull and that there were a lot of top edges that were created for those wickets so i'm curious what was the strategy if you remember it that went into that successful method to help you bowl usa out for 172 and win that match chasing we had shakti 
and uh, Basant, both regular left arm orthodox. So Shakti was somebody who just come in and hit one spot day in, day out. And Basant was uh, like, you know, bowling around the wicket, hitting that uh, good length area. And Rahul was someone who was actually struggling because he wasn't as consistent. But I had seen Rahul since my under-19 days because he had played under-19 cricket with me. And I knew that he had potential. And on that particular day, because we had two ballers bowling around the wicket, both left-handers, we just thought that maybe if we really want to maximize uh, the rough in the TU cricket pitch, uh, why not uh, change that angle where you'd make them think differently? Why? Because that strategy had not been used before. And just because we had lost the match one day, 24 hours earlier, we had to somehow make a plan as to if, if, if we are to throw in an element of surprise, it had to be with Rahul. Why? Because he wouldn't be talked about at, at, at that point of why, because he was a very young member of the national team. So Shakti and Basan, uh, because they're, they're doing very well, they had been looked into. So for us, it was about throwing in that a bit of surprise through Rahul. And it succeeded with the seven wickets for 15. And Shakti, Gauchan, and Basan Regmi didn't take any wickets that day. None for 31, none for 37. You bowl USA out for 172. But then you're cruising in the chase. Mahesh Chetri and Anil Mandel reach 85 for none. And then all of a sudden, the couple wickets start falling. You lose four wickets for 42. Shakti gets out. Shakti at that point was really a true all-rounder. He batted at number three. You came in at number four. Sharad Vasakar yeah. at, at number five. You all get out in pretty quick succession. And I could sense the crowd starting to get a little bit anxious. And, it, and the, the riot police, which had been there the day before, they started to line the boundary again. And there was this feeling that, uh-oh, here we go again. Uh, mm. is, is it going to happen again? Before, Did that go through your mind at all? No, I think we've been told that they would increase the security personnel. So because of what had happened, Cricket Association of Nepal made sure that they put in a lot of security people around the boundary line, as well as a lot of security inside the crowd section as well, so that you know now that people had to understand that this is not possible. And also the message was made loud and clear that if something like that was repeated, it would mean that Nepal would no longer get international cricket. It was all over the news, be over the radio, over TV, saying that this is how the crowd reacted. The world is now looking at Nepal and generally Nepal's known for his hospitality. We are, we are generous, we are kind people, we accept uh, a lot of uh, tourists and we are very warm and hospitable. But the thing is that uh, that incident, I'm sure, uh, changed a lot of perception where for cricket fans, uh, if they started throwing stones, it would mean that they would not get to see the international cricket at their home ground. So that, with the addition of extra security, made sure that uh, you know nobody threw stones at us but like you said those quick four wickets and then I was in the dressing room and just looking around saying we got this game I hope nobody messes it and eventually uh, we chase it down and won our first ever uh, senior level uh, championship. That paved the way to go into division four into Italy which took place about six months later in August 2010 you were supposed to play USA in the first day of the tournament, and that match got rained out midway through the first innings. So it had to be replayed on what was meant to be a rest day. And that was crucial, the timing of that, because in between the originally scheduled first match and the, what wound up being the official match, 
Nepal lost to Tanzania. Very, very bad loss. And it turned the game against USA into a must win. USA also was coming off a loss to Italy. So both teams had had slipped up. And all of a sudden, what looked like it would be a foregone conclusion that USA and Nepal would advance, all of a sudden it turned into a must-win game for both teams at uh, the Ovale de Rastignano and Pianoro, way out in, in the Wine Valley outside of Bologna. USA made 203 for eight. Again, Sushan Nadkarni, crucial inning, 64 not out, thorn in the side of Nepal over the years. And you were you were the key wicket, as it was typical over the years. In the chase, Nepal struggled early, and then you built a really good partnership with Gianendra to get Nepal back into a position where it looked like it was a 50-50 match at, at that stage. You were going really well. And also for context, this match was played on an artificial wicket. This was not a turf wicket. It was on an, on an artificial strip in Italy. At that point in the match, this partnership with you and, and Gianendra, what was going through your mind? And then just take us through the sequence that unfolded to when, when you were dismissed by the off-spinner Mohamed Gauss. It was pretty strange. Why? Because we had uh, never actually played on turf wickets before. I remember growing up playing matches on matting wickets, but when we went into Italy, it was matting wicket all over because we just come from Division 5 where we had won, we played on a cricket pitch and just to get used to those conditions was pretty difficult and it, it, it was also difficult why? because the surfaces were so different. The match that we lost against Tanzania, although it was on a matting wicket, it was thick outfield we weren't renowned as big hitters then. So everything that along that went along the ground, normally which would fetch us four runs would probably mean it would fetch us one run then. And it was a real struggle for us. We even having bowled out then for 113 odd runs, we could not chase that down. And then you come to that uh, must-win game against USA. We're playing on that ground where it had cement and a mat on top of it. So I remember Darlington, if a Darling and uh, Usman Souza, these two guys were letting it fly because I was batting at number four. I could just see when the openers went to bat, they were just hitting that back of a length and it's just, you know, going through the nose. So you're sitting at the dressing room thinking, okay, now this is something where we are not used to, but because there's so much at stake, we had to somehow put our heads down and bat. And uh, those early two wickets meant that myself and Gyanendra, we had to, you know, settle the things. Uh, put in our, uh, you know, A game where we had to leave a lot, trust the bounce and just pray that, you know, you wouldn't get that extra ball on your gloves or whatever. Kept pushing ourselves and unfortunately what happened was we, we went through the difficult part of handling the fast bowlers, but when it came down to spinner, maybe just took that wrong decision at that moment, trying to, you know, uh, score against him and I got out and then Gyanu got out later and then eventually um, led to the fact that we could not make it. And after the game, we did realize that we were not going to make it uh, through Division 4. And we sat down in the hotel rooms, uh, brought in everybody together. And again, every time we lost a World Cricket League series or where we didn't qualify, we looked at each other and said, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? If somebody would say, no, I'm going to go to a Gulf country to work. Somebody said, no, I'm going to go to another going to do some job or somebody said no i'm going to start something so it was more of a casual conversation where people it was because cricket wasn't a career we were looking into multiple options saying i think that's it uh, that was the conversation between us but in spite of that when we came back home we knew that we had nothing else but to play cricket so 
saying doing this thing and that thing was uh, something else but for us it was very important that we got back to cricket again but every time we lost a world cricket league uh, qualification uh, cycle that we could not make it it felt as if it was end of our lives and of our careers it was a very pivotal moment that loss after that loss this soul searching what are we going to do? How are we going to bounce back? What does this mean for us? Where do we go? And a, a huge decision administratively was made. This essentially sparked the introduction of Pubudu Dasanayaka as the head coach. So you went from having a very, very low negative experience where you, you feel like the sky is falling. Is this the end of Nepal cricket? And it actually triggers one of the most successful eras in Nepal cricket history. So that's a bit of a teaser heading into part two of the interview with Paris Kodka on the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast. In the second half of our conversation, we go deep into the transformation that occurred starting in 2012 at World Cricket League Division 4 in Malaysia under the new leadership of Pubudu Desanayaka. We also talk about Paris's experiences leading Nepal to their first ever T20 World Cup 2014 in Bangladesh, as well as the journey to ODI status cemented at that epic week in Namibia in 2018, including the famed miracle at Windhoek against Canada and Nepal's first ODI victory shortly thereafter against the Netherlands in Amstelveen, as well as the ending to Paris's ODI career against the USA putting a fine cherry on top of his rivalry with USA over the years. So come back next week for part two of the conversation with Paris Kodka. I want to remind everybody that you can support the podcast by subscribing on Patreon for as little as $3 a month. You can be a captain, be a patriot, be an eagle. Help keep the podcast running from week to week. I appreciate everybody who has subscribed on Patreon this far, and I encourage anybody else who has not yet done so to come on board. I'd also remind everybody to please subscribe to the podcast on YouTube in video form or in audio form on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor FM, and plenty of other podcasting platforms. That's it for now. I'm Peter Delapena reminding everybody, God bless America and God bless American cricket. Cricket.